over the course of our lives, we develop a sense of self. We figure out what we think, what we feel, what we like and dislike, what our values are, what we really want, what other people think about us. We develop this sense of self. And when this does not occur, meaning there's an interruption to this natural process of development, we become very confused about our sense of self. It's as if our core is missing, and this creates big problems for our life and big problems for our relationships. In childhood, some people grow up in environments where the reality is that it's not safe to be different than the other people in your environment. Most especially, usually one or two people upon whom your needs depend. When you grow up in this type of environment, any difference that leads to some kind of conflict between you and these other people in the household leads to things like rejection, things like punishment, things like isolation, uh, things like disapproval, things like withholding of needs. All these things we can't really live with as a child. And so one way of adapting to this type of environment is to give up any aspect of yourself that might be in conflict or different in a not okay way from these people in your childhood environment. You learn essentially that the way to have relationships is to give aspects of yourself up. Essentially what this person is doing is denying, suppressing, rejecting, or disowning any aspect of themselves that puts them at odds with instead of in confluence with this other person. So confluence is what they are after. To imagine confluence, I want you to think about two separate streams of water coming together to flow together as one stream. As the waters mix, you can no longer tell which stream is which stream. In this state of being, the two waters are relaxed in accord and harmony and are flowing in an easygoing kind of way. The opposite of conflict. Confluence is a blissful state of being, a profound togetherness, and to generalize, people desire and seek confluence. But not no matter the cost. When confluence becomes dangerous is when somebody seeks to establish confluence no matter the cost to themselves. When somebody does this, when they try to reject, deny, disown, or suppress an aspect of themselves so as to achieve a state of confluence, it's not actually real confluence. It's false. They become inauthentic and give up their personal thoughts, feelings, desires, needs, preferences, values, and whatever else for the sake of achieving confluence and avoiding conflict. And it is by doing so that they slip into the human hyphen pattern. The human hyphen pattern is when somebody is so committed to this pattern of trying to find confluence with somebody no matter the cost, that you will watch their persona shift based on whoever their primary attachment is. What this means is, is you will see somebody become so many different versions of themselves based on whoever they're in a primary relationship with. To the point where you're kind of going, I don't know who the hell this person is. It's sort of like they're a living, breathing hyphen. For example, if Justin exhibits this pattern and he is with Rachel, you're not going to be meeting Justin. You will be meeting Rachel Justin. <laughs> and if he is with Sarah, you're also not going to be meeting Justin. You're going to be meeting Sarah Justin. And believe me when I tell you that Rachel Justin and Sarah Justin are very different men, because each is simply a reflection of the specific woman he is with. Each is what she wants him to be and what he must be in order to have confluence with her. 
even though he's going to fight you, that each new version of him is the real him, quote-unquote. The reality is, with the human hyphen pattern, the only access a person has to a sense of self is when they're alone. The minute they're with another person, especially someone they want that togetherness and harmony with, their lines between me and you begin to blend. So that you can understand this pattern better, I'm going to give you two examples. The first example that we're going to start with is Brody. Brody grew up in a household with a very domineering mother. When you walked inside Brody's house as a child, there were paintings that his mother did of herself and mirrors everywhere. What's the common theme? It's pretty much her way or the highway. She didn't even really want children. The reason that she had children is because of the man she was trying to secure at that time. Brody grew up knowing that the universe revolved around his mother. She was largely prone to ignoring him. And what he learned is that the only way that he could get her attention is if he made sure that he was meeting her needs in the moment or that something he was doing was fueling her ego in some way. As a result, as a child, he wore the clothes that she picked out for him. He behaved exactly how she wanted him to behave. He adopted her views on everything. He stopped doing anything he liked and that she didn't approve of. He validated her even when a little voice inside said that he didn't agree. He said yes when he wanted to say no. He made himself into a male version mini-me, despite considerable pain to himself. But as a result, unlike his brother who failed to be able to do this with his mother and eventually committed suicide, some of his needs were met and he got to have a special relationship with his mother. This was really his only chance at emotional survival. Subconsciously, what Brody has learned over the course of his life is that conformity to a person is the necessary ingredient for having a relationship with that person. The problem is this belief of his is actually so painful, he can't even accept that subconscious belief that belongs to himself. So the way he copes with this is that he tells himself that each new version of himself is more and more like the real him. Brody tells himself that with each relationship, he's getting progressively more and more and more authentic. But to the people that know him the best, they've been through this so many times, they know it's complete BS. Instead, they're simply watching this person change their colors depending on whoever he's with on a given day. Brody was in a relationship with Tori. Tori was a very driven girl. She was obsessed with self-help and had big goals for herself. She was a super social go-getter with leadership qualities who loved skiing and cooking. When Brody was with Tori, he was business-oriented. He wore his hair short, with no facial hair, and dressed in business attire. He spent time self-reflecting and figuring out his own patterns. He was a really positive and easy-going man. He was very social and spent lots of time in the kitchen and reveled in living in the snow. When Tori ended the relationship with Brody, he ended up in a relationship with Jocelyn. Jocelyn loved travel, leisure time, and horses. She had a strong sense of right and wrong, should and shouldn't. She believed that people should be approved of exactly as they are, not changed. She had a small group of friends, but preferred to spend most of her time one-on-one -on -one with him. When Brody got into a relationship with Jocelyn, he grew out his beard, gave up his business attire for outdoor clothing, cut off all his friendships to focus solely on her and her friends, started looking after her horse despite having a severe allergy to horses, quit his business-oriented job to start his own business in the travel industry where he could take off weeks at a time to do leisure activities with Jocelyn. He started suddenly expressing strong ideas of what is right and wrong despite having been such an easy-going person before. 
And suddenly he started to get into these intense conflicts with the people he still had in his life from his time with Tori. Remember that the people who are around Tori are super into self-development, right? But now he's adopted Jocelyn's belief that nobody should change themselves. They should be approved of exactly as they are. So now, not only is he fighting with them that self-development is abusive, he's also telling himself that it's a waste of the time that you have on Earth. Not only that, Brody is now telling himself that because that group of people who are associated with Tori were all about self-development and always interested in him changing something about himself, they never really loved him and therefore he never really belonged. And actually, that was kind of abusive and so they're kind of bad, right? So now he gets to find that confluence with Jocelyn against a common enemy, which gives him an even more enhanced sense of togetherness with Jocelyn. Brody has paid a very heavy price for the confluence that he has found with every single woman in his life, starting with his mother. And one of the saddest things about this pattern is that Jocelyn has no idea that Brody is simply in yet another one of his inauthentic patterns and relationships, one that she will fall victim to. Instead, she's still telling herself the story that she's found such a compatible man. Brody becomes some version of whomever he's in a primary relationship with. So the reality is nobody, including Brody, knows who he is. Now let's take a look at Cindy. Cindy grew up in a very large family. I mean, tons and tons of siblings and parents that are just too busy for anything. As a result, she was largely ignored. She didn't have any reflection, and it was impossible with this much social chaos going on to get any real attention. When she was seven years old, she finally met a friend, and for the first time, she had someone who cared about her. This friend wanted to be close to Cindy and wanted to make Cindy just like her. This friend encouraged Cindy to get the same haircut as her, to get into Girl Scouts just like her, and to become obsessed with cats just like her. Cindy did so and felt a kind of heaven in being just like someone. She modeled her movements and mannerisms and speech patterns and interests and everything after her friend. She finally had someone to do this life with. She had figured out how to be able to get someone to be intimate with her and to be together with her and pay attention to her. She had figured out how to matter to someone, be just like them. Cindy now exhibits this same pattern with all the men in her life. So first, let's look at Derek. Derek was kind of a redneck, a guy from Nevada, fresh off a ranch. When she was with Derek, she was a proper redneck woman who got into spin fishing, wore camo pants, wore a trucker hat, and bleached the tips of her hair. She picked up smoking, she listened to country music, and she temporarily gave her daughter over to her mother's care. Then Cindy got into a relationship with Camden. Camden was a really good Mormon boy from Southern Utah. When she was with Camden, suddenly she was dressing in conservative blouses and skirts. She dyed her hair a tasteful blonde and curled it to make herself look classier. She moved into a family-oriented neighborhood with him and didn't just start going to church. She decided her entire life revolved around Relief Society meetings. She no longer listened to music. She brought her daughter to live with her again and modeled her behavior after the perfect stay-at-home mom, baking cookies and doing crafts and making sure to teach her daughter about morally appropriate behavior. But then, Cindy got into a relationship with Seth. Seth 
was an avid Harley Davidson rider from Colorado. When she was with Seth, suddenly she dyed her hair black. She wore tight jeans and midriff shirts. She got a tattoo. She went from adhering to Mormon values and judging everyone who didn't to being a self-proclaimed beer connoisseur. She quit her job and started working for Seth at his garage brewery. She used to be a volleyball player, but her volleyball team learned they could no longer depend on her showing up because she was busy riding motorcycles most nights and on the weekends. And her daughter found herself alone in the house with her new stepsister, Seth's daughter, while their parents were out on the road. Cindy's family distanced themselves from Cindy. And she never had any long-term friends. For two reasons. The first is, every time she got into a new relationship with a new person, her entire social sphere would be overhauled and gotten rid of for a brand new social group. And her family learned there's nothing you can depend on relative to Cindy. It's better to just step back and watch the whole charade at a distance. Here's the other sad part about this story. Cindy loves telling the story, after every breakup, that the reason she broke up with him is because every man she gets into a relationship with is a narcissist. She tells herself that every man's a narcissist because inevitably in the relationship, she just ends up feeling like she can't be herself when she's with them. The reality is that actually not a single one of the men that she has been with is actually a narcissist. All it takes to be considered a narcissist by Cindy is for somebody to have a strong sense of self. Because what happens the minute she meets them is she automatically changes herself to conform to them, even though they've never asked her to. They were simply reveling in the fact that they'd found a woman who was so compatible with them. It's very common that people who exhibit this human hyphen pattern tend to blame the other people in their life for why they have lost themselves without realizing that the reason they lost themselves is because that's their relational adaptation for how to establish that confluence with the people in their lives. The reason that this human hyphen pattern is so difficult to break is the following. I'm going to spell it out for you because this, I, you should probably freeze frame this and really let it sink in because it's such a big awareness. Okay, this is what you've got to realize. When you develop a codependent relational style, which the human hyphen pattern is part of, you genuinely want that sense of closeness and harmony and confluence with someone. That is authentic. You want it so badly that you are willing to be inauthentic to get it. Therefore, when you are inauthentic, but get what you authentically want as a result of being inauthentic, your internal guidance system will tell you that you are in alignment with your authenticity, even if you are lying. To understand more about codependency, you can watch my video titled The Truth About Narcissism and Codependency. Relational styles are second nature to us. In fact, they are so natural to us that we tend to make them our default way of being in relationships. We just slip into them without realizing that we're in them. But realize it, we must. Because I have to tell you the honest truth. If we don't realize it, we're no longer living from a space of free will. We're no longer choosing. We're living in a space of determinism. And it's a determinism that's gonna get us in a hell of a lot of trouble. Staying stuck in the human hyphen pattern will prevent us from ever truly being authentic and honest with ourselves and others. It will make finding a truly compatible partner impossible. It will make it impossible to create a life that is right for us. And it will make it so that we will leave a trail of tears in our wake. Consider that if you are giving something up, 
if you are suppressing, denying, rejecting, or disowning some aspect of yourself so as to find confluence, you may just be slipping into the human hyphen pattern. And you've not actually found confluence. Because that confluence that you feel is not actually confluence, you are setting yourself up and other people up for indescribable levels of pain. It is not true confluence, it is illusion, and it is deception. And there is no possible way for you to actually have authentic relationships that are feel-good relationships unless you are able to have a me at the same time as a you in your relationships. To be quite honest with you, the progression of human relationships on Earth are absolutely dependent upon your capacity to develop a me at the same time as a you. Have a good week.